Hi, welcome to the Comic Sans Podcast. My name is Jiha Joshua Chang, and with my co-host Ayana White is the host of this podcast about comic books from the perspectives forgotten in the gutters. So thanks to all of our six listeners. <laughs> we have six listeners. We have okay. six listeners. I love all of y'all. Um... So this weekend, Josh and I got tatted. <laughs> we did. We we but we did it in outdoor settings, mm-hmm. socially distancing, mm-hmm. wearing masks, mm-hmm. all getting tested prior. Like we were, mm-hmm. di- we did it in the safest possible way we could. Yeah, stick and pokes by our friend Fiona in her backyard. Bless her heart, Fiona. Like just had like this entire big bottle of hydrogen peroxide, and we just did it. I mean, this was my first tattoo for me, so this was like. I had a lot of anticipation when going into it. I got myself a, ta- a Chinese calligraphy tattoo that literally, uh, it says mo, which in Chinese means ink, which I think is very fat for this podcast because actually inking is one of my favorite things to do when I'm drawing a comic book, even though it's painstaking. And also it's like very close to our hearts, I think as journo kids. I got that tattoo on the inside of my left, um, my left forearm, the dominant hand that I use. And it's great. It's a tattoo I've wanted to get, like, always, and I'm very, very happy with it. Huge shout-out to Fiona Fistana. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it was really cool to have a friend do it because some tattoo artists are, like, really creepy and weird. I felt, like, super safe doing this. I got a little alien on my hip. I have an Aquarius stellium, and they're known as, like, the aliens of the Zodiac. It was awesome. It's like the exactly the Roswell alien. It was like amazing. I'm obsessed with it. Um, also, I got it. I didn't realize it hurt so much. It was one of the most painful tattoos I've ever gotten. I got it over a bruise. I like forgot that I had a bruise there, oh and that's God. why it hurt so much. <laughs> but yeah, um, hit up Fiona for tattoos. Anyway, comic book news. The Avengers are endorsing Joe Biden for president. Wait, hold on. As in, like, whoa. (laughs) As in, is the MCU as a company doing it? Or are, like, fictional characters pretending that they're real-life characters endorsing Joe Biden? I think it's, like, Marvel is, like, we, or specifically, like, the actors that were in The Avengers. We're all, like, we collectively endorse Joe Biden for president. They were at a fundraising site with joe biden that's cool if that inspires someone to vote perfect but i have to say all of these calls asking people to vote without doing anything to make voting actually easier without doing anything to address like the rampant voter suppression happening in this country or even addressing the like very valid claims that people have against Joe Biden for president, specifically like black people, like black and brown people. Joe Biden is like not that appealing to a lot of us. Right. But we're like forced to vote for him. I think there are two things that that brings up. One of them, which is maybe this is unprecedented or maybe and I could be wrong, but like to, to have like these massively popular figures of pop culture kind of going into the mainstream, quote, the mainstreamest of the mainstream, you know, in politics. And, you know, this is probably a big deal. Like, let's say 40 years, 50 years ago, people have scoffed at the idea. Like, who cares if these comic book heroes so-and-so say they endorse a presidential candidate now? Who is the audience for this? 
Good question, though. That's the thing. It's a weird kind of impasse because, like, it's not a particularly controversial endorsement. In a way, it's really safe because they're not real people. And maybe Marvel is just kind of, they could just say that, you know, we as a company are just doing this as a very suave, slick marketing campaign to attract those youngsters. But it's not genuine or engaging enough. And for y'all who are in comic book history, know that actually the earliest generation of comic book artists were immigrants, particularly Eastern European and Jewish immigrants who fled the Nazi persecution and came here. And, and, and a lot of their characters were almost a, a antithesis, an antidote to the problematic Nazi superhuman ubermensch kind of thing, right? But it hasn't really evolved beyond that point. And any kind of political representation in comic book heroes are often negative ones or like, for example, look, um, and especially progressive ideologies, the ones that are actually like dealing with the realities of politics are antiheroes at best and villains at worst. A good example is um, anarchy. It's either that or I would say the opposite end are like very niche one-time superheroes that aren't actually considered superheroes like V. From Beef Vendetta, which by the way, the cinematic representation has completely watered down, vanilla into this kind of respectable but also very generic Hollywood call for liberal democracy and you know the call against totalitarianism, all very valid things, but that's not what V was about. It was about anarchism and the particular connotations. And the real life connotations and problems that anarchism might bring like that was just one very rare instance and even that was kind of diluted for the general audience when it was you know made into a movie so there really isn't an actual engagement of the politics not just a mere representation because in a sense like it's one thing to have just for example like you know to have like native american superheroes in their cover great 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 start but like they're still superheroes. Like you don't actually like their characters don't actually deal with politics. They're just political representations for reality. Those are two very different things. That is so interesting. Me personally, I'm just sick of being told to vote for someone who I truly believe does not have my best interest. And I feel like gaslighted into thinking that Joe Biden is like going to save everything when it's not even Joe Biden is like the beginning of a beginning to like finding a solution to what is wrong with this country. Like it's really not a big step towards anything. It's a very weird kind of extreme because like people who probably consume comic books are the youngest, most diverse, most progressive demographic. I mean, I, I mean, these are large generalizations, but I think in large part, pop culture and grassroots politics and progressive movements go hand in hand often. Like pop culture can be a very good tool for youth engagement and social activism and advancing causes. But also like the reality is Trump or Biden, you know, that's kind of the thing that they face. And that's why you see these weird things like, you know, Avengers, you know, endorsing Joe Biden. It's like, it makes no sense. You know what I mean? We are in such a god awful parody of like what this country and what politics is like supposed to be like it's literally beyond parody right and like the whole point of superheroes is like they should be projecting and wishing for a better world 
And like it's we- Joe Biden. Exactly. I'm like, I if I were if I were superheroes, I'd be like, if they were real, I'd be like, huh? Why why are you endorsing this man? You could be doing like you are literally toppling dictators with your bare hands. Like you're protecting humanity. You're stopping alien invasions, and you're like this vanilla white man is our savior. I'm like, no, I'm not buying that. Oh God. It's so bad and it keeps getting worse. Okay, my next story. <laughs> also MCU related. Um, Chris Pratt. <laughs> oh. So originally we were gonna or I had the idea to rank the Chris's, but that's very five years ago. Um, but it's still very valid. So Chris Pratt is a bigot. I feel comfortable saying that because his church, he goes to a very openly homophobic church. He follows people like Ben Shapiro and Prager University. All of this is coming out because people decided to rank the Chris's again and he kept on coming out last because of his personal politics and stuff like that. Earlier today, all of the actors decided to hop on social media and defend this man. They were like, Chris Pratt is a good person. They're like, I know him personally, like leave him alone, essentially. They were like, stop bullying him, stop being mean. First of all, do y'all not have anything better to do? As if a bunch of people on the internet rightfully critiquing Chris Pratt for his gross and weird political beliefs is bad. Second of all, y'all did not have the same energy when they were being actually racist to your co-stars. Like, this is ridiculous. That's fascinating. Also, okay, I'm a big Anna Ferris fan. They were married for years, and they recently got divorced. Recently, as in like a few years ago, they got divorced. And I believe it's because he's a Trump supporter. That's what I believe. But no one knows for sure. And I really want to hear her side of the story. Yeah, and like in pro wrestling, let's say like someone like John Cena, they try to make like their onstage personality and their offstage personality as consistent as possible. Like he's like the good guy, you know, kind of what I mean. Chris Pine obviously has problematic. We're talking about Chris Pratt. Oh, pro- I'm sorry, Chris Pratt. Chris. Please Pratt. get it correct, because <laughs> hmm? I love Chris Pine. Exactly. No, I was like that. I mean, that doesn't sound like no, right. Chris Pratt has problematic. Also, I'm a whiskeyan. Um, <laughs> Chris Pratt has, like, problematic personal politics, political views. And I, I genuinely ask this. I'm not sure if I have the answer to this. Can we separate the character and or views that he embodies from the work that he has? Like, here's the thing. If he was obviously, like, a felon or overtly racist or homophobic or has done criminally prosecutable things... Like, most likely just then, like, the studios won't even hire him. But, like, he is of that kind where people have said that he has these views. Hasn't been particularly, at least, I, I don't think they've been particularly vocal or integral to his character. Or his, at least, even his celebrity image. How do we, what do we deal with that? Do we kind of just leave him alone? And just, as, as some of his co-stars are saying, just leave him alone, he's a quote-unquote good person? Or as a public figure, do we actually examine and discuss that? Especially when, again, when he is in a position where he has probably objectively more influence than local politicians. I, it is my opinion that these people have far too much money to be worried about what a bunch of people on the internet are saying about them. Like it's not gonna affect your bag. It's really not. And because quote unquote cancel culture is just not real. 
Like, there's no reason for these people to be saying this unless Chris Pratt <laughs> has contacted them personally and been like, these people are hurting my feelings. But going back to what you were saying, he is a public figure. And like all this information is like publicly available. We have to analyze that. And I think people have a right to know whether or not someone they're supporting with their money is a good person. And I, uh, you know, you don't have to go to the homophobic church. <laughs> you don't have to support these people that are um, hurting marginalized communities. Like, you can just not do that. And also, it's a, valid, it's a very valid point, right? It's like, look, in a sense, like, we are consuming your product. Don't cry, don't whine about it when we find out your personal, like, problematic views and just not choose to consume your services. Yeah, and it wasn't even, people weren't even like, fuck you, Chris Pratt. They were just like, oh, by the way, like, we don't like him because of these very valid reasons. Exactly. <laughs> and, like, honestly, like, customers are kings. If you're, ad like, if you're staunch advocates of a capitalist economy, we choose not to consume Chris Pratt. So deal with it. It's not even like people were saying, oh, boycott his next movie. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they no, were exactly. literally just stating facts. Exactly. And, like, it is up to the individual customer, the individual media consumer, to make up their minds whether that is a deal breaker or not. But we're just merely seeing the fact that he's going to a church that embodies views that is seen problematic to a lot of people. That is all. Very few people have like lost monetary gains and like actual status in the industry because they got quote-unquote canceled by the general public yeah especially like public figures no i okay so there's this is saying in korea um basically like the most useless concern you, ha you can have about are about celebrities like they'll be fine last time i heard chris pratt is doing fine yeah i think he just had a baby oh good for him eugene lee yang oh <laughs> oh open up your phone pull up his social media He's done something. <laughs> Interesting. One of the most gorgeous men on the planet? Yes. Absolutely. I'm going to have a moment. So, people, what it was, was that my favorite person who I have the hots for dressed up as a fictional character who I have the hots for. I'm just going to collect my gay mind for a second and just bear with me, folks. It's truly incredible. I need to smoke a cigarette. Um, <laughs> Just so y'all know, Eugene Liang as Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. Of course he's gorgeous. Of course it's amazing. It's like one of the best cosplays I've ever seen. Because Eugene Liang does not miss. And you know what I actually appreciate about that, just for the split second, is because a lot of cosplays of um, Zuko, they draw the scar as like anime, animated scars. So it's just like big blobs of, you know, like red dots. Which looks aesthetically quote unquote tolerable, but he actually recreate the scar tissue as if Zuko were a live character. That's how probably his scar tissue looks. Not only is that good detail, like that's how we should actually, I, I, I really commend that. He kind of brought out the complexity of Zuko. Like he didn't like just water down as like, oh, that's an aesthetically pleasing looking red blob. That is a scar that Zuko carries. 
Josh, where are you going to be for Halloween? I'm thinking of being Penguin. Wow. Yes, like the Batman Penguin. Batman the Animated Series that aired like in the early 90s was just one of my favorite all-time shows, and Penguin in that series is one of my favorite all-time villains. I like Danny DeVito's Penguin in its own quirky Victorian way, but that Penguin is refined, it's like cunning, it's... I love it. So I might dress up as the Penguin. What are you dressing up as? Um, I'm just gonna put on a tiara and have my tits out. But that's a great... <laughs> valid. Very, very valid. That's a great segue. Very valid. That, that, that oh my god. Oh. Great segue, because today's episode is about Harley Quinn. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Harley Quinn, the animated series, available on the DC Universe platform that no one uses. Now on HBO Max. Yeah, okay. Let's take it back. Harley Quinn was created for Batman the Animated Series in the 90s as just like someone for the Joker to talk to, essentially. Um, and also like abuse? The initial kind of creation of Harley Quinn was like kind of the sidekick, kind of the the comic relief. And like she probably went through a lot of abuse. She did go through a lot of verbal, physical abuse from Joker, even just from the animated series. But then like it's even there shown that Harley Quinn has this unhealthy infatuation or attachment to Joker, calling him Putin and dealing with a lot of the toxic behaviors the relationship has and actually even in the original animated series there is a an episode batman actually kind of tries to persuade harley quinn to get out of the relationship and to kind of objectively see what this is causing her she ultimately does go back to joker i think which is shame but yeah like even then there was this kind of alarm call that first of all this is no way to portray a female character and even then, there were already attempts and very successful attempts to create Harley Quinn as her own character beyond just the Joker's, you know, romantic sidekick comic relief thing. Yeah. And one of the things that I actually like about this new TV series that came out last year is that I think this is like a very realistic portrayal of an abusive relationship and like what an abuser looks like and like what a victim looks like and how many times you have to try to leave this abusive relationship before it's successful. Ayana recommended me this this series and I, with no shame, as I said in the early episode, I used her account, DC Sue Me. I borrowed her account, binged it in two days, Oh, I just loved it. I loved it. It's astoundingly good. It's like... <laughs> it's shockingly you good. You know what it was, though? Because I'm not even going to kid you. For the first two episodes, I was like, is this good? Because that's how much I was been disappointed by DC's content. I did not know if this was... I'm like, this is good. Wait, is this good? Am I supposed to like this? Because there's no way that DC would write such a good, entertaining, sustainable, comedic show that is not stupid. The writing is so good, and I would love to know. I want the names of every writer on the show, and I want to know their Tumblr accounts. Because I can promise you they were writing fan fiction 10 years ago. <laughs> I was clapping very furiously. Um, yes. This show is like every fans, like what you want the comics to be like. Like how fun and engaging you want the comics to be. It's what DC has been missing for like a very long time. Right, and like... 
So again, as the original fan of the animated series, the the kind of the whole thing with between Poison Ivy and Harley, they were a badass duo, kind of you know away from the Joker, doing their own thing. That was a thing, and I loved it. And I'm pretty sure like Paul Dini, like they were very strong already, very gay undertones in that already. And I also like think and tell me if it's wrong, people. That was the first time Harley Quinn calls Poison Ivy red. Yeah. It's kind of good to see like those themes fully explore in an animated show, and in an organic way. There is so much character development because, of course, it has to. So, as Ayana said earlier, much of the first season is really dedicated about how Harley Quinn deals with a toxic, abusive relationship she had with the Joker and getting herself out of that relationship slowly and gradually with regressions. It is very real. It isn't she's out whoopity doo da. There are moments of heartache and frustration and, you know, toxic attachment styles. But done in a, such an organic way, it doesn't set, look and sound preachy at all. There are times when, you know, we see ourselves in Poison Ivy's footsteps um, because she's the cool collector. But there are also times when we just see that the pre-existing relationship that we know and love, we nerds low and love, from Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn was even more elevated by the realistic nuanced portrayal of human relationships. Yeah, it's really good. And even like besides um, her and the Joker, a lot of the series is focused on the fact that Harley is like a woman trying to make it in like what is a man's industry which is like being a villain it feels very meta it feels like they're making commentary on like the entertainment industry or like just being a woman in general everyone is too like afraid of the joker to help her also joker is like the comedian so yeah he is in the media it is very very apt not to spoil anything well kind of but like so there's a moment when harley is invited into the legion of doom it's this very funny portrayal of the Legion of Doom as it's a corporate environment with all these quote-unquote perks. And Scarecrow is the HR person in the Legion of Doom. It is, I think, a very much a satire and a commentary on the media industry, which the comic book industry is a part of. And let's face it, the comic book industry was and is not kind to female creators, female executives, basically, no, not even that, just non-cisgendered male voices, especially in quote-unquote mainstream comic industries. From what I heard from a lot of other industries, like, for example, like documentary making or other kind of more indie practices, as they become mainstream, unfortunately, the toxic practices in mainstream media takes that over. The indie nature of documentary filmmaking has enabled a lot of queer filmmakers, of black and brown filmmakers, of women cre- of filmmakers to begin a whole, to begin making films. But as documentary with Netflix, like documentaries now in itself is a very profitable and entertaining mainstream platform. The toxic practices of Hollywood is being bleached over into documentary filmmaking. And I think in the same way, like, comic books were indie, they're underground, they're punk. They still are. A huge part of comic book is, you know, fan creation about hearing the black, brown, queer, inclusive voices, because it is inherently subversive. But as comic books 
become quote unquote more mainstream, like in you know in in MCU, when you know Hollywood executives make comic book movies, of course they're going to make a comic book movie in their way. They're not going to suddenly hire inclusive voices. Someone that we both know tried to tell me that the MCU is diverse. And then I was like, um, actually, it's absolutely not. And he was like, his mind was blown. He was like, I have never heard someone say that before. And I was like, look at all these white people. Are you kidding me? Look at Endgame. Just look at Endgame and the whiteness that permeates that screen, people. Literally, there are more green, red, and blue people than there are actually black and brown people in that fucking movie. That's just a fact. Don't get me started. <laughs> Please. Oh, no. The MCU is an embarrassment. But, um, back to Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a commentary on the entertainment industry. And as someone who's, like, lightly in or has like lightly worked in the industry, it's super fucking funny. The superheroes are treated as celebrities. There's an episode where Robin goes on this talk show and he's like, I'm the cutest person in Gotham <laughs> and you all love me. <laughs> and they all clap. And that is absolutely what the real life Robin, Robin would have done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you have a favorite joke in this show? I There's so many jokes that I think about all the time. <laughs> share one, share one, please. They make a joke about Joan Didion. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, Clayface. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, I forgot about Clayface, actually. Clayface puts on a performance of Joan Didion's um, California something or another. And he's mad because they didn't go to a show. And it's so fucking funny because he's a giant clay monster. And he was like, y'all didn't come to my performance art piece. And then in that, that episode is one of the funniest episodes to me. In that same episode, they make a joke about Lady Gaga. <laughs> And then there is another reoccurring joke about the Babysitter's Club. It was actually a watershed moment as like an, like an Asian person. I mean, I did not know this, but like there was this one character, I forgot her name. Claudia. Claudia, like is an Asian American Asian. icon. She, exactly. Uh, yeah, I love the Babysitter's Club and it was crazy. See, that's why I said that these people were on Tumblr 10 years ago because they, they're our age. Because who else, like, Babysitter's Club is like us, or like a little bit older than us. Exactly. Like, so probably like millennials. Yeah. Like, millennials who probably blogged a lot, went, then switched to Tumblr, very much that. Like, exactly. But grew up watching, like, you know, reading the Babysitter's Club. They probably would have watched After the Last Airbender. And the thing is, like, it's still very much, like, grounded in the DC lore. Like, Clayface was an actor. That's what he was. I think, like, he actually began. As like a stage actor, and he like applied this ointment that horribly deformed his face. So it's still very much like consistent with the DC lore, but there are these moments of I really mean this, and I probably overuse this word like too much throughout this podcast, but really is organic, like it's so naturally funny, and the punchlines are so grounded in reality, and of course written so well. But still consistent with DC lore. It's still very much a comic book show, but like they're portrayed in a realistic, nuanced, and funny way that I love. I love the portrayal of um, Shark. Uh, King Shark. King Shark. I was gonna say Great White, but that's not right. King Shark. It's he, so funny. He yeah. is. Uh, he is literally just the sweetest, which is very different from how traditionally King Shark is portrayed. Like he's like this bloodthirsty kingpin who for some reason dated John Constantine. I like don't know how that worked, but 
hey, hey, people do, you know, y'all do y'all thing. I fell in love with it. I love the character. The, instantly the moment when he steps in and he says, howdy. <laughs> yeah. Um, something else I love about this show is the voice acting. It is so good. Like the cast for this show, it's like incredible. It's like hit after hit after hit of like comedic actors who are all like bringing their a-game to this show and like to these roles the diversity in this show lex luther is black and so is catwoman and those are all things that were like headcanon for fans like things that fans have been speculating about and then the show just went ahead and did it which is why i say again they are our age and they were on the forums with us creating these theories but yeah, it doesn't feel fan servicey at all. Doctor Psycho is voiced by Tony Hale. Mm-hmm. Tony Hale is the really meek Batman in Veep. Mm-hmm. He's also the very meek son in Arrested Development, and Doctor Psycho is none of those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would not have believed if that, if that was Tony Hale. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all. Those, those. Oh wait. Oh, and Wanda Sykes. I forget. Oh. Wanda yeah. Sykes. She is so good. She is. Okay, there's so much more to say about the show. Yes, <laughs> Their portrayal of the Justice League is, first of all, the best portrayal. <laughs> Second of all, hilarious. It feels real, even though it's like very obviously not no, real. Exactly. Take the portrayal of the Justice League. They literally would act like if they're a whole bunch of glamorous, over media saturated superheroes would act like but like not in a watchman anyway but like they're still batman they're still wonder woman they're still superman but in this like ridiculous stupid way <laughs> do you is there anything that you don't like about the show i mean there are moments where like i think the plot development it reaches a a kind of an obvious kind of climax i like the second season better that's why actually because the first season it's obviously going to be a climactic showdown in a typical arch villainy way. I think there could have been smarter writing, but that's my main caveat. The overall, like, overarching plot is a little bit lacking, but each individual episode is, like, pretty good. Extremely <laughs> entertaining. It's, yeah. it's just charming. It just exudes charm. Mm-hmm. It really does. I think this will be, like, a classic that people go back to and just, you know, one of those shows that you go back to and realize, oh my god, they made this reference, or they made this really, like, actually subversive thing. That you just kind of forget about and you come back like, oh yeah, they did that. Clayface annoys me sometimes. That's, I think, that point of the character though. Like he talks in that overt like, I'm going to enunciate every word kind of way. Um, yeah. yeah, which, yes, he is kind of annoying. But do you, what, what's, what's your main qualm with that show then? Just that Clayface gets on my nerves. I kind of want to fast, like, whenever he talks, I'm like, Are again. There's this episode where he pretends to be a college student, and I was like, this is a lot. Oh, oh! He was, like, more of a main character than usual, and I was like, this is too much Clayface. Too much. Batgirl is great in this show. Oh, yeah! Batman is, like, the best he's ever been in this show. This is one of the best portrayals of Batman I've ever seen. He's funny. I hope they bring in more Gotham characters i want them to do different shows for like every character like i want this writing team to like just expand the dc i absolutely agree and like they clearly know their stuff like they're not shattering pre-existing lore or destroying parts of the character that we love and like completely recreating from like they're not doing that they're still staying consistent to lore and actually evoking things that older fans would love but like bringing the into the 21st century. Have you seen any more like Harley Quinn stuff? 
I saw Birds of Prey. I think that was the last movie I saw before quarantine was Birds of Prey in theaters. It's very good. Is it? Yeah, it got shit reviews because people hate women, but it's generally it's very good. I mean, let's. I mean, even like the original, um, the series was canceled. Yeah. So I think another reason why people didn't like it is because it's so different from that original comic book series. Ah. But it's still, and they waste. Uh, we can. I have a lot to say about this <laughs> movie, actually. <laughs> no, it's like these shows that have like and ideas that have great premises, especially Birds of Prey, that just don't get the rec- the development, the money, the money that it deserved. Yeah. Also, it was directed by an Asian American woman. Just saying, y'all. Watch it. You need to watch it. It's a good movie. It's very fun. It was so I saw it in theaters with my friends um, while I was high and it was like a great high watch. I have just tremendous. I love Oracle so much. She's not in it. Exactly. I made that old nerd face. That's extremely valid because if they want to do a movie that's like that now they can't like they would have to change it because there already is a Birds of Prey without Oracle exactly in one sentence sum up why we should watch the harley quinn series even if it's finally buying the hbo max subscription oof y'all better pirate that shit (laughs) fine why should we watch harley quinn out of all the bingeable things that we're surrounded with in this corona times i just don't believe in paying for things in general but i think if you were to pay for anything harley quinn is definitely worth your money it's extremely entertaining. It's absolutely bingeable. You can watch the whole thing in like two days, like you said, because it's so good and it just like the pace just keeps going. Um, if you like DC, you're gonna like this show. Yeah, second thing off from Ayana. It appeals both diehard Batman fans, like people like me who've grown up with the animated series. It respects the lore, but adds more to make them funny and relevant, but not preachy. And the show is so gay, people. Um, it is so gay. And Harley Quinn is very likable, which I have found her hard to be in previous. True, because I think they just kind of portrayed her as this, this trope of the crazy woman. Mm-hmm. Even in Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. The kind of a trope, like, you know what I mean? Like the traditional, very problematic trope of portraying women with mental illnesses as like, oh, that's her kind of thing. DC, pay us to do your PR. Because let me let me say something else. <laughs> this show, I got into it because a clip from it went viral on Twitter. But I did not see like any advertising for this show at all for the first like two years. And I am a big DC fangirl. <laughs> watch it, y'all. Watch it, watch it, and write, write smutty, smutty fanfictions about it. <laughs> and that's all, folks. This is the Comic Sans Podcast. My name is Jiha Joshua Chang. I'm Ayanna White. And... Stay gay, stay nerdy, and most of all, stay safe, y'all. Peace.